Welcome to America's Top Rebbitons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Haya Bad Esther, and also for Avraham Alter Ben Rivka. If anyone would like to sponsor a future podcast, please email us at atrebbitons at gmail.com. I'm so happy to have on today's show, Rebbitson Leah Shemtov. Rebbitson Leah is the executive co-director of Chabad of Stanford Jewish Center for Life and Learning. She was the first person to initiate the mega holidays that have become an annual tradition in synagogues, Jewish community centers, and Chabad houses nationwide and also internationally. The very first mega holiday took place in Stanford, Connecticut in January of 2009. Kol hakavoti, Rebetz and Leah, for starting such a beautiful tradition. Please tell us what inspired you to create the mega holiday. Well, good morning and wonderful to be here with you, Vera. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm so excited to speak about this topic because I'm truly passionate about it. I believe that everybody can bake challah. And it's not always, you know, something that you're familiar with. So um, the Mega Chalabek actually started. Um, I was doing women's programming for many years here at Chabad of Stanford and our JWC, Jewish Women Connected. And, you know, every program, different people would come. But we had like, you know, an average, the same amount at every program that we made. But I started to find that when we did challah baking, it was always double the amount of people. More people wanted to come. Women were drawn in to this experience. They were drawn into this mitzvah. And literally, it was always double the amount. And I was thinking that, you know, what could we do bigger and better? And I said, imagine we could have 100 women in one room at one time doing this mitzvah, how powerful it would be. Yes. And that's where the idea came from. And the first year, our goal was 118 women in one room at one time making challah. And we went through lots of logistical thinking and what to do and how to do. And that was it. And what I had seen turned out to be absolutely correct because we ended up with 212 women amazing. at that first mega challah bake. Wow. Wow, that's beautiful. That really is amazing. And it's so interesting that, you know, that they were really drawn particularly to the challah bake, you know, to baking challah, to making it that for their families. It's amazing. Um, it's really incredible. You know, yes. we'll talk about the mitzvah a little bit more, yes. but that idea that the way Hashem created the world is that certain things call to us. And often we think that things that call to us are maybe not good for us. A beautiful dress, something beautiful for our home. But when we understand it in the light of Hasidus, Actually, these things that are that we are drawn to or that are calling us have something in them that we can elevate, that we can utilize in our service of Hashem. And challah is very evidently, very openly and evidently one of those things. Wow. Wow. So that's incredible. So, yes. Yeah, so let's get into let's get into the, um, the part about challah so we can understand more about this beautiful mitzvah. So when we put together a large amount of dough to bake bread, we take off a small piece of that dough and make a blessing on that small piece of dough. And that small portion of dough is actually called challah. That's the part that's actually called challah. Separating the small piece of dough from the larger bowl of dough and making a blessing on that smaller piece of dough is actually the mitzvah of challah. And this very special mitzvah has the unique ability to bring God's blessings into your home. And I want to see if you can please talk to us about the process of separating the small bowl of challah from the larger um, larger dough bowl of challah and about the beautiful blessings that this mitzvah brings into your home. 
Okay. So, you know, if we could just backtrack for a moment where this mitzvah originated from yeah. and where the mitzvah comes from. And the mitzvah of challah originally is from the idea that during temple times, in the time of the Beta Mikdash, every time somebody would bake bread, one portion of that bread belonged to Hashem. And I spend my time in preschool, a lot of my time in preschool. And how do we tell the Yiladim? What do I say to the Kindalach, to the children? I say, Do you think Hashem eats? Chala, do you think Hashem eats bread? Well, Hashem doesn't eat bread, but there were those that were working for Hashem, the Kohanim. And the Kohanim were doing the service of Hashem every day. They couldn't work the land. They didn't have livelihood from another place. And it was not only the responsibility, but the honor and the privilege of the Jewish people to support the Kohanim who were doing Hashem's work. So every time you made the most basic food, which was bread, one portion was made for Hashem. One portion was brought to the Kohanim. And the idea was to remind ourselves that the reason that I have sustenance for my family, the reason that I have bread is not because I'm an amazing farmer or I'm an incredible business person that knew how to make some money and have what I need for my family. It's not my strength, my innovation, my know-how that brought me all of this blessing that I have. But actually, it's a reminder that everything we have is a blessing from Hashem. Now, maybe a farmer sees it more in, in a greater light. You could, you could plow, you could sow, but you need the rain. Yes. You need the sunshine. You need the bracha, the blessing from above. But even when we see it in a revealed way, we're human. We forget. And here was the reminder. Every time we made the most basic food to give a portion to Hashem. And that portion was called challah, which meant separated. Now, over time, the whole bread started to be called challah to remind us that we don't want to forget this important mitzvah. So how is it done today? Today, we don't have the Bet HaMikdash. We don't have the Kohanim that are able to do that service in that way, but we still remove a piece. We still want to remind ourselves of the blessings that we have and that everything that we have comes from above. So we continue to call it challah. We continue to take a piece which becomes kadosh, which becomes holy, and therefore it cannot just be eaten by anyone. And we leave that piece, the separated piece, um, so that it should become, we don't want to throw away something that's good. So in an interesting kind of way, we allow it to become not good. Some people leave it out to rot or ferment. ferment. Some people will burn it till it's inedible. And then we can throw out something that's not edible. Now, where and when do we take challah? So there are a couple of circumstances that need to be present in order for challah to be removed. Three simple things to remember. One, it needs to be made from one of the five grains, which have a little abbreviation of brows, barley, rye, oat, wheat, or spelt. So if you're making some of these gluten-free rice, different things, challah is not taken. It has to be from one of the five grains. Number two, the primary liquid ingredient needs to be water. So therefore we don't take challah from a cake, for example, even if it's made, from one of those five grains. And lastly, the proportion. It has to be enough. It's about, it's, it's about four plus pounds of flour that you need to make a bracha. You can remove a piece with less flour, 
two pounds around, but a bracha is not made. So they have to be all three conditions present, made from one of the three, five grains, primary liquid water, and more than four plus pounds, I'm not giving you the exact proportions, to be able to make a bracha to take challah. Over the years, I've learned other interesting things with it as well. In our first time we made the mega challah bake, I had women grouped together because they were making a smaller dough. And I said, three women together is more than four pounds of flour and they can make a bracha. Subsequently, I found out that the majority of the dough has to be baked in one oven. So if you had a mother and two daughters that each made their own dough, you could combine those doughs, cover them with one cover and make a bracha. But if you had three friends that were going home to bake the challah in their own homes, you could no longer do that. So there are many details in the halachot, in the laws, but that's the basic idea. And you ask about the blessings. You ask about the bracha that comes from making challah. Yes. And challah is really extraordinary. It's extraordinary because I have found we can have 50 women, 20 women. We've had more than 500 women in one room at one time making challah. We measure out the ingredients. It's all perfectly ready for you. And each challah tastes different. And how is that so? It's a recipe, you know, maybe in a different country, in a different, but they're in the same room. It's literally exactly the same. Because what I find with challah is that challah is a labor of love. And what you put into that challah comes out of that challah. We'll talk soon about why we have that challah and that'll help us understand a little more. But really the energy that we put into that challah is something extraordinary. And the bracha that comes from it is, number one, we know the mitzvah of tzedakah. Tzedakah is that when Hashem says, I am entrusting you with a certain amount that's actually not yours. And if you're a good enough banker and you dispense it well enough, well, I'm going to give you more. 10% of our earnings doesn't belong to us. It belongs to others. And when Hashem sees that we are dispensing it in the appropriate way, he wants to bank with us more. He gives us more. So he has to give us more so that our 10% is more. So with tzedakah, counterintuitively, we're giving away, but the bracha is that you get more. And many people can share stories with you where they actually saw this, you know, playing out for them. Chala, in a sense, is that recognition of the gift from Hashem. The recognition of that everything we have is from Hashem. The more we recognize the greater bracha comes into our lives. That's so beautiful. I love the way that you explained everything about challah from A to Z, including why we have these beautiful blessings. It's so, and it's so special. It's actually really special that Hashem gave this particular uh, mitzvah of challah making to women. Um, I know I'm going to just jump around a little bit, but I wanted to ask you here at this point, you know, why does Hashem give this special mitzvah of challah making specifically to us women and not to men? Beautiful question. It's an excellent question. And really, you know, very much when we see mitzvot that are more connected to the feminine soul or mitzvot that are more connected to the masculine soul, sometimes it feels like somebody's being left out. Sometimes it feels like, why can't I do it? But when we start to understand 
that every single mitzvah that we give that we are given is actually connected to our innate makeup. There is something different about every single human being. And actually, it goes back to creation of the world. How is it so? Well, Hasidus explains that when Hashem created the world, Hashem Hashem had a desire to make a dwelling place in this lowly world. God had everything he could have wanted. God had the heavens and the earth. He had the angels. He's God after all. And what did he want to create this physical world, this human beings? What was that all about? God had a desire to bring together two opposites, to bring together the physical and the spiritual. Now, if you were to ask somebody, what is greater? What is more important, the physical or the spiritual, the body or the soul? Good question. <laughs> well, our first reaction might be the soul is so lofty, so close to God, that must be greater. That must be higher. But the question, Hasidah says, if the soul is the ultimate, why would Hashem bother to create a world? Why would he put the physical into this world? We actually don't need it. And what we understand and what we learn is this idea that Hashem actually, the body is actually more important in a sense. However, we live in a time where we don't see the world for its truth. We're told that when Mashiach comes, we will be able to see the truth in this world. And what will that truth be? The tr what, how do we see the world? Well, when we look at the world, we see greed, we see deception, we see, we see difficulty within the world, we see challenge within the world. And when we see spirituality, or when we understand godliness, we say, wow, that seems like, you know, the ultimate, somebody that can reach that level. And interestingly, the reason that Hashem did this, because in this time of Golos, in this time of exile, Hashem wanted to give us choice. And that choice is a very interesting thing. And we can see it exhibited in each of the mitzvot that are particularly connected to the feminine soul. So I'll tell you a little story. This is a story about Reb Lady Yitzhak of Bardichev. The Bardichever was known, he was known really as the advocate of the Jewish people to Hashem, always interceding on behalf of the Jewish people. And when he would see something, he was always able to put a positive spin, see the good within it. There's a famous story told that he one day came out of shul and there he saw Yossel the wagon driver greasing his axle, getting ready for his day while wearing his talus and tefillin and davening. The Bardichava looks at it, he looks heavenward and he says, master of the universe, who is like your people Israel? Even when they grease their axle, they do not stop to praise your name. Rebbe Levi Yitzhak was able to see the world with a positive eye. Every single human being is given two eyes, a right eye and a left eye. They are totally balanced in the same way. 
And yet we find that the human nature is to kind of look at things with the left eye, to kind of look at things, you know, naturally we are prone to seeing fault. We are prone to seeing the things that are not so good in the world. Rebbe Yitzchak said, Hashem, listen, God, he said, what do you want from your children? All of the rewards and the good things they get from doing Torah, from doing the right thing, you put hidden in your holy books. And all of the temptations of the world are right in front of their eyes, are so obvious to them. He said, if it would have been the other way around, it may have been a little more fair. And that's our human nature. That's what we know. The things that are maybe not so good are right there. The temptation is so great. The things that even if we know they're good, it's long term and it's not always easy. Speak to anybody that's ever had to go on a diet. For sure. The cheesecake looks good here and now. I want to enjoy it. It's enjoyable to me. Those things that are maybe not so good in our lives for us feel good. They taste good. They're right there in front of us. And this is what Rebbe Levi Yisuk was pointing out. And how is it that we can have the ability to use our right eye, to focus on the positive, to focus on the good? And actually, it's the, the mitzvot of a woman that highlight this on some level. And how is that? You know, we're told when Mashiach comes, that the woman of valor will be the crown of her husband. While we are in Golos, we see the benefit or the strength of the masculine. Women are malchus, which is higher, which is, which is kingship. Now, what is a king? A king actually needs to have, malchus needs to have two things. A king needs to have leadership, but with humility. It's a delicate as, balance. As well as to be a receiver. Being mm-hmm. a receiver is not negative. The king needs his people in order to be a king. Yes. You could be the wealthiest man in the world. You could have all of the treasures, but if you don't have subjects, you're not a king. Mm-hmm. The king needs something from the people as well. Now, we spoke about this idea of the physical and the spiritual and how they come together. And that very often we look at the physical as secondary. But in fact, when Mashiach comes, we will be able to see how the physical actually is serving the soul and not the other way around. Now, how does this relate? to why challah is a mitzvah that was given to women. Well, if you look at the three mitzvot of the woman, and what are those three mitzvot? The three mitzvot that are particularly connected to the feminine soul are the lighting of Shabbos candles, the baking of challah, and the laws of taharat ha bringing godliness and holiness into your family life through the mitzvah of mikvah, and in other ways as well. Each of these mitzvahs are not confined in a sense to one thing, but that's the source of them. And what do we see with these three mitzvot? We see something incredibly interesting. These mitzvahs, we are told way back in the Chumash, the Medrash tells us about Sarah, Sarah Imenu, our matriarch Sarah, who we are all the daughters of Sarah. It says that Sarah had three incredible miracles in her tent. Her Shabbos candles burned from Friday night to Friday night. Bracha be'isa, 
Her dough was blessed. And what does it mean it was blessed? It said anybody that came around Sarah's table was filled, was nourished. And what does that mean? They didn't have to be a lot, eat a lot, but their stomachs were filled. Their souls were filled. They were filled physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. We've all had that experience where you go, you sit around the table and it's not a regular Shabbos meal. You leave that table feeling full, feeling robust, feeling uplifted, not just from the food. And that was the bracha that Sarah's dough, that Sarah's challah had, that Sarah's table had. And the last bracha was Anon Kosher al-Ahala, that there was a cloud adjacent attached to her tent, which was indicative of the Shechina. Hashem felt comfortable to hang out in Sarah's tent. She welcomed godliness into her tent. She made it a comfortable place for Hashem. When Sarah passed away, Avram continued to light Shabbos candles. If there's no woman in the house, a man must light. But they were regular Shabbos candles. They went out at the end of the evening. Avram continued to have guests. This was Avram's mitzvah. He had to have challah bread to feed them. And they ate and were filled. But it didn't have the bracha of Sarah's dough. And finally, although it was Avram of Vino, Abraham, the first to recognize God, that cloud departed from the tent. It wasn't there. When did they come back? When Yitzchak brings Rivka, these three miracles returned. And Yitzchak knows that she is the right one. He understands that this is the woman that is going to continue what his mother lived for. We are the daughters of Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. We have the ability and the gift to carry on the miracles that they did. We have the ability to bring the blessings that they brought. And therefore, these three mitzvot are entrusted to the Jewish woman. Because our makeup, who we are and what we bring to the table, is brought out and can be brought out specifically through these three mitzvot. Because these three mitzvot represent a combination of the physical and the spiritual. Shabbos candles. Well, you can light candles any day of the week, and they may be beautiful, and they may be romantic, and they may be wonderful and create an energy, but they're not Shabbos candles. They don't create the energy of Shabbos. Where do we have candles mentioned in the Torah? Ner Hashem, Nishmas Adam. The candle of Hashem is the soul of a person. So candles are a soul. A woman has the ability to reveal the soul of every member of her household. She has the ability to bring out the potential of all of those in her household, all of her friends and those in her life. That which is hidden, she can bring out. Who is a good, kosher, correct woman? who does the will of her husband. Well, that sounds exactly like what everybody's telling us. In orthodoxy, in Jewish life, women are subservient, men are first. But that's not what it is. Ha'oise, not who does, but who makes Ritzayin Baila. She has the ability to create her husband's will, to help her husband bring out his fullest potential. And how do you do that? It's malchus. It's like that king. It's that leadership that's needed, but with humility and understanding our place. I'm not a doormat. I'm not used in any way. 
I have a very important role to play. And that's what we have here. In the time of Gullus, the potential, the greatness is hidden. Us women have a window into Geula, have a window into redemption, and therefore we are able to make the will of our husband, to help create, to help them be in the correct place. How do we see that with Chala? Because that's our topic that we're speaking about today. <laughs> well, in the Chala, incredibly, Chala is not just the Chala. It also connects to all sorts of food. Food is so physical. And yet, it's the food that is the focus that makes Shabbos, that makes Yamtev. Because what happens is we spoke about the idea that it seems to be that the soul is greater and the soul is sustaining the body. But in fact, it's the body that sustains the soul, that the soul should be able to fulfill its mission within this world. And therefore that food is so important. I mentioned to you before that idea that sometimes we're drawn to something, a piece of cheesecake. Yes. A beautiful dress, something wonderful for our home. And we could say, you know what? No, this isn't, this isn't the way of Judaism. This isn't Yiddishkeit. It's my inner desires coming out. I have to stay away from it. Hasidus points out, absolutely not. In every physical thing, there are sparks, sparks that are waiting to be elevated. And when you are drawn to something physical, you can utilize that in the holiest way. A dress for Shabbos, a dress for a simcha, making your home beautiful, that your home should be a place for hachnasas urchim, for welcoming guests, a place where there's Torah study, a place where people come and feel nurtured on so many levels. You recognize that everything Hashem puts into my space, into my vision, I can respond to. I can respond to in a godly way. And brings us to the final mitzvah, which we'll touch on because even though it's not challah, I just want to conclude these three mitzvot. And that mitzvah is really the mitzvah of intimacy. Yes. And that at the core of the mitzvah of Tarat HaMishpacha of mikvah is intimacy. And what happens? God puts us into this world and us human beings are created incredibly selfish, self-aware. Not, excuse me, not self-aware, aware of ourselves and our needs and what we want. It's not easy for us to relate to somebody else's needs, to somebody else's wants. We are very caught up within ourselves. What happens is Hashem wants us to find the balance. Hashem wants us to find the balance within it, to be able to relate. But how do we do that? How do we do that? The mikvah comes to highlight our differences. We are so different men from women. We are different physically. We are different emotionally. We are different mentally and even spiritually. So what happens when you have two? Two are at odds. There's a dichotomy. How do you bring balance? How do you bring peace? There's only one way to bring peace. Oseh shalom bimromav that Hashem creates peace, creates shalom above. Why is that? 
because Hashem is truly the only one that can help us see things that seem so opposite that can live in harmony. How does Hashem do it? Well, when it comes up to a godly level, there's nothing besides Hashem. So there are no differences. But for us mundane human beings, how does that happen? Hashem tells us, I want you to make a vessel. How do you make a vessel? It's awareness. It's an awareness of separation between husband and wife, of stopping, of preparation, of a change that's there. And then Hashem says, together, when you come together, you will create something that's not hers, that's not his, but is theirs. And that third entity is what brings the shalom, what brings the peace, what brings it all together. That could be in a child, in the manifestation of a child, but it also is in the manifestation of the marriage. The marriage is not his. It's not hers. It's theirs. And when you have that idea that when we meet, that's what Hashem wants. Hashem wants the physical and spiritual that seem so opposite to meet, to come together because each need each other. And in this challah, we see it so distinctly. It is so beautiful. <laughs> so hopefully that gives us a little inspiration and insight into this incredible mitzvah and these mitzvot as well. It really does so much. There's a lot to work with. You know, people think that challah is just challah. It's just bread. Like what's so special about it? You know, should I make it? Should I buy it? You know, it doesn't really matter. But it really, really does because of all the reasons that you just mentioned. And it brings such tremendous holiness into our home when we actually make it, it's you know, ourselves. Which brings me to the question, you know, so many women want to make challah, but they're so intimidated by the task of actually putting all the ingredients together, kneading the dough, letting it rise, separating the challah dough, and then actually braiding it and baking it. It's really, it's not a one, two, three process, but it is most definitely worth the time and effort. And I want to see what advice you can give to women who really do want to try to make challah, but they're hesitant to take that first step. Okay. So we said in the beginning, we spoke about this idea that we're drawn to things. Yes. And I saw that in a very open way that women are drawn to the mitzvah of challah. They wanted to come. They may not have known all these esoteric ideas. It wasn't just because it was a cooking show. It wasn't just because it, there's something deep about this challah. And as you say, women want to do it and it often is intimidating. Yes. They've never worked with yeast before. There's all of these scary things. So the first thing I want to say is that anything that's worthwhile takes effort yes. and takes time. We live in a world of instant gratification. However, we know that the things that are meaningful in our lives, our relationships, don't just happen in an instant. Don't just happen in a moment. They take time. They take patience. And often people say, for you, it's easy. You always do it or you do it well. When you start to study and hear about people that excel in their fields, be it athletes, um, you know, professors, musicians, and you go back, the thing that is the same with all of them is that they get tremendous amount of practice. Yes. In fact, you know, there's this number, this 10,000 hour number that what creates, that what separates you know, the, the good from the excellent in all, in every field. You don't have to do 10,000 hours of challah baking, <laughs> but I challenge people to try it three times. Three times, not, doesn't have to be consecutively, but in a short enough amount of time. 
That's the first thing. You know, people that I've spoken to, it perfects over time. And you need that. Number two, to not be afraid. You know, once upon a time, yeast could go bad and you had to proof the yeast. Today, you get dry yeast. When you look at the package, it lasts for about eight years out of the fridge. Nothing's going bad. But you can still proof that yeast. And when you proof it, you know that it's going to be good. And proofing the yeast is basically adding it to something warm, to warm water, a little bit of sugar, and getting it to bubble. Now, there's lots of tips how to improve your challah. One tip I would say is double rising, that you make the dough, let it rise, shape it, and let it rise again. You'll get a fluffier challah. And we, I'm happy to share lots of tips, and those tips are encouraging because when it comes out good, you want to do it again. So some of the things that I found is pre-measuring your ingredients and mise en place, which is something about cooking in general, that when you have everything in its place and ready and you have what you need, it makes it so much easier. You watch these cooking shows and they're like, ah, la, la, it's so easy to cook. Well, what was the preparation that went into it before? But if you put that preparation in, it'll, it does make it easier. You know what you have, you're not grabbing for different things. Another thing is, adding your, your flour slowly. In other words, half of your amount of flour at a, at a time, because when you put all the flour in, it becomes very difficult to knead. But if you have, let's say, two pounds of flour, you put in half, you mix it with a spoon, and then you add half of what's left, and you do that slowly, it's easier to mix. And there are lots of mixers these days. You don't have to knead it by hand. I have a friend that makes a challah in her Cuisinart with the blade. So I don't know, but there are ways to do it, even if you don't have the biggest, fanciest machine. But start off also with a small amount. I have a small recipe, which is just four cups of flour, which is easy to handle, easy to feel successful. Even though you might want to do the five pounds so you can take the challah, start off small and you'll be able to grow from there and to do, to do more from there. Um, you know, um, it's interesting. We're told, we're taught Where's the first place that we have challah? Well, there are many different things. One thing is that it says that Adam Harishan, Adam, was He was the challah of the world. That Hashem took flour, dust, from every corner of the earth. He mixed it with water. He kneaded it. And he created Adam. And then he blew life into it. But that wasn't, that's not exactly the challah I'm talking about. We had in the Mishkan, in the temple, in the tabernacle, there was challah. And what does it say about those chal, that challah? Well, it's very interesting. It talks about that, in, it to, tells us in Pirkei Avot, in Ethics of Our Fathers, about 10 miracles, Asara Nisin, that happened in the Bet HaMikdash. All of those 10 miracles were things that went against nature. You know, everybody stood, you stood squashed, you were able to bow down with space. One of those things that went against nature was the idea of the lechem haplanim, of the showbread. They baked it at the beginning of the week. They took these 12 loaves representing the 12 shvat and the 12 tribes, placed it on the table. They didn't put it in saran wrap. They didn't have Ziploc bags that you take the air out and all the other tricks to keep your challah fresh. It stayed open and out all week. They did not touch it. They did not eat from it. And finally, on Friday, when the Kayanim got to eat from it, when they replaced it with the new bread, it was warm and fresh just as when it was baked. It defied nature. It went against nature. That was the original challah. And in a certain sense, 
We have the ability to bring, and it's not what happens when it defies nature. It is combining two opposites, the physical and the spiritual. And that's what our challah has the ability as well to do. Our challah is there when we commit ourselves to something. It doesn't have to take all day, all month, all year. You know, people say you have to be home all day, whatever. Put your challah up in the morning. You can come back and shape it. You, if you're in a rush, you put it in a warm area. It can rise more quickly. There's so many wonderful tips out there, but really it does take a little practice and a little preparation. And have a, there's simple recipes. I have a recipe. It's interesting. Typically, we say challah has seven ingredients because it's connected to the seventh day of the week. And really, why is challah challah with Shabbos? Because ultimately, we're taking something physical, the bread, and we're utilizing it for something spiritual, the Shabbos, and that brings it together. And that's why challah is connected specifically to Shabbos, because the day has the spirituality within it. But in the seven ingredients of challah, flour, water, yeast, oil, salt, sugar, and eggs, they all have different meaning, and there's wonderful meanings behind all seven. But it's very easy. I've started leaving the eggs out. And you don't have to worry about, you know, people are worrying. I once went to a class, and they were busy with a thermometer that it's the right temperature. With the yeast today, don't worry about it. Warm water is good. Boiling water will kill it. But otherwise, you're good. Give it a try. Get a simple recipe. Mix it all together make it a family activity, make it joyous, involve your children, and you will reap the benefits of your challah satiating your family, those in your life, your loved ones, those that come around your table and fill them in a way that's not just filling their stomachs and delicious, but actually is nurturing them on a much greater level and filling them emotionally, spiritually, physically and and even mentally so I, I love that i also love what you said before in relation to that you said like you were in a room and all the women were using the same ingredients and the same recipe to make the challah and each challah tasted differently and it's because when you put love into your cooking when you put love into your food when you put love into kneading the dough and putting the ingredients together and braiding the dough you're handling the dough you're using your hands to really physically handle the dough and you putting you're putting yourself into it you're putting your your energy the energy that you have when you're kneading the dough when you're making it even if you're making it in in um in a cuisinart or in a in a bread machine you're still putting yourself into it and that love and that positive energy if you put it into it that's what people will taste when they taste your challah and i think it's so important technology absolutely you are so so right we put ourselves into the challah and that's why each one is so different yes for sure for sure and i was going to ask you i mean it challah is so delicious and i was going to ask you why we eat challah only on shabbos but you were saying we eat challah on shabbos because this is the day where we take the mundane and we elevate it into the spiritual absolutely and bread during the week is also eaten and challah should also be taken from regular bread but it's this idea of challah that's specific to Shabbos. It's a, it's a higher level bread, as it were, even though all bread has challah, a piece taken from, should have a piece taken from it. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. Okay. Well, the, I mean, it, it's so much rich information that you gave to us. Uh, it's uh, so much for, I'm like sitting here trying to process it and take it in because it's so beautiful. 
Um, and it gives us a lot of food for thought. We, we really, really should be making our challah instead of buying it at a bakery, if at all possible. And I really like the idea of trying it three times just to see, you know. Um, yeah, I guess you can go to the bakery and buy backup challah if yours doesn't come out very well. But like putting in the effort and at least trying to make it three times, you know, to practice to see if you can really get it right. I think it's really well worth the effort. So Thank you so much, Rebbitz and Leah, for taking the time to join us on America's Top Rebbitzins. We really appreciate you being here, and we hope that today's learning will be for Rafua Shalema, for Haya Bat Esther, and also for Avraham Alter Ben Rivka. Thank you so, so much. Vera, thank you, and Kalakavad on what you're doing thank to you. have women's voices heard, for sharing, for teaching, and Hashem should bless you to continue to do this wonderful work. I really appreciate you inviting me. And this was wonderful to spend the morning with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. <laughs>